I'm a swarm of cockroaches infesting the home of a capitalist, Taylor. And I'm a shockingly unfuckable crate monster, Jemmy. And this is The Final Girl Files. This week, we watched 1982's Creepshow, directed by George Romero, and starring an ensemble cast of a lot of names that I'm about to read, <laughs> including Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, Fritz Weaver, Leslie Nielsen, Carrie Nye, E.G. Marshall, and Stephen King. And there's more to that, but God, I can't write down all the people in this fucking movie. We'll go through each of them as we talk about each uh, segment of this movie, because this is an anthology film, which is one of my favorite uh, horror things that uh, there are a lot of horror anthology films, and I love all of them, uh, but this one's my favorite. <laughs> there are, and it's not like a trick-or-treat situation where, like, all the stories are intertwined, like, they're all very much, like, their own thing in their own universe. Yeah, these, this is just, like, a bunch of short films squished together. Yes, it's based around, like, horror comics aesthetically and, by the way, it tells its story. Or stories, plural. This was my first time watching this movie all the way through. Yeah, the key, <laughs> the key phrase being all the way through, because you've tried <laughs> a couple of times. It's not even that I, like, I love this movie. This movie's great. It's just that, like, every time I try to watch this movie, it's always really late at night. <laughs> And I forget how long it is, so I'll put it in. I'll be like, "Yeah, I want to watch Creep Show all the way through this time." And then, like, by the, after the first hour, I'm like, "Fuck, I need to go to bed." <laughs> yeah, this thing is uh, this thing is long. It's like two hours long. It's two hours, but you really don't feel it unless you're no, like me. It, it doesn't feel <laughs> unless you're long. stupid like me and you start watching it at like nine p.m. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I won't say that none of the segments drag because. <sighs> oh, the crate. Oh, the crate. <laughs> um, Taylor, what are your memories with this movie? <clears throat> so the first time that I ever watched this movie was when I was first, like, really getting into horror. I I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. My first, like, real formative horror experience was that I watched the uh, Bravo uh, 100 Scariest Movie Moments special. And mm -hmm. it, like, imprinted something on my brain. And I think this is, like, number 99 or something like that. It's... Towards the beginning. Huh. And uh, Man Oh Man did the... They, they showed the clip from <clears throat> the final segment of E.G. Marshall and the Bugs, which we will go into more detail about later. And it uh, freaked yes. me out so bad that I was like, I need to watch this movie now. <laughs> um, which is how you know that it's going to be good, is when you're like, this scared the fuck out of me. I need to watch it. That's funny. I had the exact same experience with the woman in black trailer. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think I was like 16 or 17 and I watched this movie and it it was it being one of the first real horror movies that I ever watched like yeah, it 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 made a lot of um things about my later on life make sense. Like this like changed me a little bit as a person, this movie. Yeah, it's incredibly on brand that this was your for one of your formative horror experiences. This and Reanimator were like the two that like I watched like when I was sixteen, and it just like propelled me towards the, being the person I am today. It was like, well, also like, so it was the Bravo Hundred Scariest Movie Moments, but also uh, Cinemassacre's Monster Madness, which um, James Rolfe, who a lot of people know him as the angry video game nerd, I never watched those videos because i i don't really like video games sorry uh but i was really canceled how dare you yeah i know <laughs> it's like the one nerd thing that i don't like in <laughs> video games 
<laughs> but I was really into his videos that he made as Cinemassacre. And every October, he did this thing called Monster Madness, where every day in October, he would review a horror movie. So he would do 31 horror movies every day of October. And they would be like these little three minute videos. And yeah, that was another like really formative horror experience for baby me. I was like 16 and I was like watching those like, oh, holy shit, these are cool. I should watch these movies. And then I did. <laughs> and now we're here. <laughs> and now we're here. And it directly led to this podcast. All right. Well, I think there's only one question that we can start this episode out with. What's your favorite creep show section? Mm, it's definitely something to tide you over. <laughs> yeah, mine's kind of a toss up between Father's Day and something to tide you over. But something to tide you over is really something. <laughs> Something to tide you over is, like, Father's Day, but, like, more. Honestly, yeah. And it also has Leslie Nielsen being just so over the top and wonderful. And I haven't watched him in a lot of stuff. I've ne I've never actually seen, like, The Naked Gun. I saw Airplane, like, once. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those movies because I <laughs> am a bad film person. I feel like me not seeing any, like, Leslie Nielsen movies besides, like, Airplane one time is, like, a sin against my father and all fathers. Because those are the kinds of movies that dads love. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> dads fucking love Airplane and The Godfather. But yeah, I haven't seen him in a lot of other stuff, but, like, I'm shocked he didn't do more, like, movies like this, like, more horror movies, because he's so good in that, that section. And you can tell he's having, like, the time of his life. <laughs> God. But yeah, I totally get why Father's Day is a favorite of yours because it's such a strong opening. It's the weirdest Phantom Manor you ever? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that's absolutely <laughs> true. So let's actually, we're going to do things a little differently today because of the format of the movie. We're going to be, usually we kind of jump around with the movie, but in this case, we're going to be talking about each segment on its own individually um, and discussing each one one at a time. So I guess let's start out with Father's Day, since we've already started talking about it. What did you think of Father's Day? Again, the weirdest Phantom Manor you have ever seen. The thing about Aunt Bedelia is that she literally did nothing wrong. Aunt Bedelia has the energy that I want to have when I'm that age. Just like absolute batshit insane old person. Just dressed in all black, monologuing at her father's grave. Smoking a cigar. Like, that's all I want to be. She's such a queen. I love Aunt Bedelia. She's played by an actress named Vivica Lindfors, which is like one of the greatest names I've ever heard in my life. Can I be honest with you? I did yeah. have that name, like, as I did have her name as part of my list um, when I was reading at the top, and. I completely forgot how to pronounce it, so I didn't include it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Vivica Lindfors. I think she's Swedish. Yeah, that sounds right. She has a little bit of an accent in this movie, and I, I she's she's some sort of, like, European something. She was not born in the United States. Part of the reason I love this segment is because it just switches between, like, really fucked up horror and just, like, catty rich people, which are, like, my two favorite things. I love this flavor of rich people that, like, Connecticut, like, old money weirdos. Truly! Ugh, <laughs> uh, it's... I love this family. Like, I know that they're terrible, but they are so fun to watch. They're so great. <laughs> 
the gay brother is a standout. I was just gonna say, gay brother Richard is my favorite character in this. Funky little twink. I love him. I love, okay. He's like an alcoholic, gay, single man, which I get, like, I get it. It's the 80s. That's like a stereotype. But also he's amazing and he's so catty and I love him. I he's love like when he strutting around when, in his little tan suit. <laughs> yes, I. Oh my god, the tan suit! I love. So I love good. Richard. I think he's he's the best. Um, Ed Harris is here. <laughs> yeah, Ed Harris is here. Yep. Uh, he plays the uh the he, the 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 guy who like married into this family. I guess. Yeah. There's like there's the gay brother his sister and then the sister's husband and then like the mo- mother is she is she the mother i think she's their mother she's either like their mother or their aunt i can't remember which one and then there's great aunt bedelia who we love and cherish who we love and who we stand so the <laughs> the fucking dance that they do the like dance break in the middle Ed of Harris this. And the sister, they just have this like little random like they just start dancing to like a weird little disco song, and it goes on for like a while. <laughs> yeah, it like it's like a full like minute of just them dancing. And I said that um in my notes I wrote down that this dance deserves to be as like famous in the horror community as Crispin Glover's like horrible Friday the Thirteenth dance. Oh my god. Like, like I, I, it's, it's just transcendent. It's so terrible, and yet so good, and yet so good. Uh, this is a fairly standard, like, revenge from beyond the grave type of story, with the nastiest fucking zombie you will ever see, except yeah. for in like in the rest of this movie. This movie has nasty dead people. I love the dead people effects in this movie. By the way, so this movie, like. This movie is like a who's who of 80s horror, directed by George Romero, as we mentioned, but also written by Stephen King, screenplay by Stephen King, makeup effects by Tom Savini. Yes. And man, oh man, do those makeup effects look fucking good. They're so good. Like, even like now, they look fucking amazing. And it's all practical. Oh, mm. it's so sexy. So yeah, Aunt Bedelia killed her shitty dad, her shitty old dad, when he had her boyfriend killed in a quote-unquote hunting accident, because that's how rich people do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh... I could make a Phantom Manor joke here. I'm not gonna. You already did, girl. I'm making a bunch. And dad takes revenge from beyond the grave on Father's Day, because he's demanding his cake. He wants his cake. Yep it's incredible it's like it's i think it's pretty short yeah it's is it the shortest i don't know jordy jordy verrill might be shorter it felt shorter than jordy verrill i think yeah i didn't write down how long these were and i probably should have but i mean it's just because the crate feels like it's like 10 years long (laughs) the crate is like 10 hours long the rest of these feel very short but yeah this one feels very like short sweet to the point it doesn't really beat around the bush, except for that weird minute-long dance, but that was a delight, so I didn't care. <laughs> exactly. And again, I simply think that Aunt Bedelia should have been allowed to do that. Yeah, she should have been allowed to do that, she should have lived, but this is creep show, and not too many people live. So, R.I.P. to a queen. R.I.P. to a queen. I think that's all I've got on Father's Day. She lived, she served cunt, and then she died. Good for her. 
Oh, uh, one thing that I thought was really cool is the... And the rest of the movie doesn't really do this. So this movie has like a very interesting style to it where mm-hmm. everything is kind of made to look like comic books and like there's like a lot of weird, cool lighting going on. And but this short specifically does something really interesting where when they're telling like Aunt Bedelia's little backstory about how she killed her dad, like everything has like a frame around it. Mm-hmm. A couple of the other stories do that, too. But this one, I think it's the most... I don't know. Something about this one, it felt like this one did it, like, more. I don't know. I mean, maybe just because this one has more, like, told through, like, flashback or, like, in, you know, one character telling a story to another character. Yeah. The vibes were immaculate, though. True. Very true. And also the... I I didn't look up who this actor was, but, like, the guy that they got to play... Aunt Bedelia's shitty old dad was so he made me mad looking at his face so that was good casting <laughs> he has a very like old capitalist face yeah exactly he you know who he looks like he looks like Adam Driver in that one SNL skit so me and Jemmy have been obsessed with this one Saturday Night Live skit called like Parent Day or something like that where Adam Driver plays, like, an old, like, 1900s oil baron who comes into a, like, middle school for, like, parent day where they, he talks about his career. I, like, it's so funny. It's and incredibly good. This, the, the dad looks like Adam Driver in that skit. <laughs> he really does. Fuck. I didn't even think of that, but now that I see it, I can't unsee it. And also, he's so just, like... Oh my god, he just pisses me off. Like, when he's banging his cane against the chair, being like, where's my cane? Oh my god, you just want to strangle this man. Like, again, Ampedelia did nothing wrong. She was correct to kill him. She was right to do that. Eat the rich. So yeah, that's Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Short, sweet, lots of fun. A good opening. A good way to open the movie. Very good way to open the movie. The next... One is called The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill. And it is, in essence, Stephen King doing a one-man show. I kind of love this segment. I also kind of love this segment. A lot of people said this was their least favorite. I love this segment. I think it's really... Because, okay, the thing that amuses me the most about this segment is that it's like, okay, if you've read a Stephen King book, it is Stephen King the author playing like the most oh, yeah. Stephen I like King to say this is not an actor whose name is also Stephen King this is the author Stephen King acting in this movie and it is so funny <laughs> he's playing like you know like the the yokel character that's in like every Stephen King book he's playing that character and it's so good <laughs> it's so good and like look Stephen King is not an actor. No. Oh, no, he is not. (laughs) That's very obvious, but it just works here. Like, it just, it's so, I I can't, I can't explain it. Like, he's bad. I found Jordy Verrill to be incredibly endearing. I loved him. (laughs) I know, me too. He was kind of adorable. (laughs) Like, I, I, I can't explain it. I can't put it into words. It's just that this whole thing is so incredibly endearing. It's a little like watching, like, community theater. 
Yo, that's exactly what it is. It's like when you go see like a community theater in your hometown and like, you know, the guy from the fucking soup, the guy who owns the supermarket is playing like Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. And, you know, he can't really act, but you're like, oh, but he's giving it his all. But he, he's trying really hard. It's so good. Oh, also, so this is like, this is 1982. So this is like peak cocaine years yes and you again it shows it does show it shows um i understand that cocaine abuse was not a good time in stephen king's life but also this is very funny here (laughs) he's doing some of the best like cocaine acting i've ever seen in my life his first line in this like thing is just going holy oh jesus and it's like okay you're I'm settling down. I'm in for a good time. <laughs> Literally, like, the second he opens his mouth, you're like, okay, so this is what this is. I'm here, and I'm ready to fucking party. Exactly. Oh, my God. He just, like, is, like, mugging at the camera and making, like, these, like, the faces. It's so fucking good. It's so good. We should probably, like, explain the plot of it a little bit. <laughs> Other than, yeah, I, I could just honestly talk about how, like, fucking awesome Stephen King is in this for the rest of the runtime of the podcast, but I won't. Like Father's Day, this is also a very simple setup. You have a farmer, and he finds a meteor in his, uh, or, sorry, he doesn't find a meteor. A meteor fucking crashes into his, like, cornfield or whatever. So true. And... Um, it's got some creepy plant shit in it, and things just go downhill. (laughs) Yep. He touches it, and it, like, cracks open, and some weird goo comes out, and he goes, Aw, dang, meteor shit. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a good line. Oh, God. This segment is so good. One thing that I thought was very funny about this segment was the, like, imagine spots that yes periodically kind of happening the um, dream sequences or whatever Not yeah, dreams, like, but. so the first thing that Jordy Verrill thinks to himself when he sees his meter is he's like I'm gonna sell this to the college and you know we're gonna pay off my $200 bank loan <laughs> and so he <laughs> imagines himself like, like haggling with the like this like a like a scientist at the college but it was so funny, you know, and so then, but then when he breaks the meteor, he has another, like, dream sequence of him doing the same thing, except they're like, we won't take this, we, you're trying to sell us a broken meteor, like, and he, like, the door, <laughs> the door opens, and he's, like, holding his hat. <laughs> yes! And he's, like, looking at the ground, he's so ashamed. <laughs> and then the third one, so basically what happens as the um the segment progresses um is that this like alien plant growth starts spreading all over his like farmhouse and all over him yeah he's essentially like growing greenery out of his body yeah and he has like it starts on his fingers cuz he was touching the meteor so he goes to call the doctor um to you know, see if there's anything that can be done about it. And then he stops, like, right as he has his hand on the receiver. And it goes into this, like, whole imagined, like, scenario wherein the doctor wants to, like, cut his fingers off without anesthetic. 
Yeah, he like pulls out like a huge knife and he's like, this will hurt a lot. Like it's not even like a- Oh yeah, it is a knife. Sorry. I thought it was a buzzsaw, but no, no it's, it's just like a, a big cleaver. old knife. <laughs> it's like a cleaver. It's very Oh, it's so good. One thing that I thought was incredibly funny and actually like kind of clever about these dream sequences was that they're all so it's it's Stephen King playing Jordy, and then every time he has a dream sequence, the other person in the dream sequence is always played by the same guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then towards the end of the special, Jordy like sees his dad's ghost, and his dad is played by the guy from all of the dream sequences. So it's like in hindsight, it's like he whenever he has to imagine anything and he's like unable to come up with a guy, he just imagines his dad. See, my ass is face blind. So I didn't even realize that. Yeah. It's all the same dude. And then he realized that he's just been picturing his dad as all of these different people. Oh my God. It's just like, he can't think of a new face. So he just is like, what if it was my dad? (laughs) Also, yeah, there's a ghost in here. It's not really relevant. It's not important. I don't think it's a ghost so much as, like, Jordy seeing things. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, just just go with it. <laughs> anyway, Jordy uh, is told by his hallucination slash ghost of his dead dad that if he goes into water, it will spread faster. But he's itching so bad <laughs> that he jumps into the bath. Yep, and, and he's just uh, like, you know what? It's going to happen anyway, so. Yep. And then it cuts to, like, the next day when his house is, like, overwhelmed with greenery. And he is just completely covered. Like, you can't even see him anymore. And then he shoots himself in the head. Yep. And that's the end. Uh, and then uh, the weather forecast on the TV predicts a lot of rain. <laughs> also, a lot of rain for Portland. Maine, we see you, Stephen. We see you. Well, actually, they, what what they say specifically is that he's in Castle County, ah, which is uh, the county that Castle Rock and Derry, I think, and a bunch of other like Maine towns that Stephen King stories are set in. The Stephen King, not cinematic universe, I guess, literary, literary universe? universe. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so this is technically within the canon of Stephen King works. Yep. Sit on that one. Um, I also, just quick, like, sidebar, I love, like, as the plant stuff is, like, progressing on Jordy, he mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point is in the bathroom and he, like, looks down in his pants and he goes, <laughs> Oh, not no, there. not there! Ah! Yes! <laughs> also, plant pack, the, pl- yeah. Say this three times fast. The plant practical effects look very good. They are very good. I, yeah. They're nasty. Also, at the beginning when he touches the plant and he gets those weird little sores. Before it actually becomes plants when he just has little sores on his fingers. They look really nasty. They do. They do look gross. Meteor shit. (laughs) Meteor shit. (laughs) That's Jordy Verrill. That is Jordy Verrill. You know, considering the fact that he shoots himself in the head at the end of this, this was fucking hilarious and I loved it. Honestly, yeah. Uh, It's not as good, though, as the next segment, which is called Something to Tide You Over, which features Leslie Nielsen as the, like, main villain and Ted Danson. Ted Danson's just here. One year before Cheers premiered. 
So this is a this is a pre Cheers Ted Danson and man oh man, <laughs> this segment is arguably the best. This is my favorite one. <laughs> it's so good. It's Do you want to explain uh, the plot of something <sighs> to tide you over to our wonderful listeners? I will do my best, Taylor. Because <laughs> it is. Because it's a lot. Okay. It's a bit of a doozy. Um, so Ted Danson's character has been sleeping with Leslie Nielsen's... Is it his wife or his girlfriend? It's his wife. Okay. Yeah. He's So he's been sleeping with Leslie Nielsen's wife. I don't remember any of the character names in this. I probably should, but I don't. Um... So I know that uh, Ted Dance's character is named Harry because at one point Leslie Nielsen, uh, when he's doing the thing that we will say later, he starts singing, uh, I'm just wild about Harry. Right, right. <laughs> so I do know that Ted Danson's character's name is Harry because of that. Right. So in order to take revenge on Ted Danson, Leslie Nielsen like lures him down to the beach by like playing a recording of um, his wife calling for help. Like not not like not like a siren song kind of deal. He just plays it on a tape recorder. <laughs> he shows up in his house. Yeah, he points a gun at him and says, yeah. "Come down to the beach or like, <laughs> or, or you're fucking dead." Yeah. <laughs> so he brings him down to the beach and, still using the gun, like makes him get into like this big pit that he's dug, and he buries him alive so that only his head is sticking out and the tide's coming in. And yep. <laughs> yep, that's that's it. <laughs> not, not the whole thing, but it's a terrible way to die, frankly. It is, I think that's one of the worst ways to die. It is so pretty horrible. One thing about this is that like Leslie Nielsen's character is established as being obsessed with like CCTV cameras and like recording equipment. So uh, in order to like fuck with Ted Danson while he kills him, he puts a television that is playing a like i guess like <laughs> what would what 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 we would now call a live stream <laughs> taylor <laughs> of um <laughs> you could say leslie nielsen was the for- the world's first twitch streamer <laughs> yeah oh god <laughs> the world's first twitch streamer this is the plot of like it what do you know those like early 2000s horror movies where the plot was just like what if internet but murder my favorite kind of bad horror movie yeah like fear.com.com cinematic masterpiece (laughs) this is just that but in the 80s Mm -hmm. uh but anyway so ted danson is basically like forced to watch (laughs) um his girlfriend be slowly like drowned by the tide and they show the like footage of her like getting washed in by the tide for a little bit and oh my god she's having a fucking awful time it's really not good it's like there's like the sand in her mouth and she's like hair everywhere and she's like spitting out salt water and oh my god what a terrible way to die also that poor actress must have had just the worst day on set (laughs) Oh my god, that's the only thing we see her in. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, that and the ending. Well, that and the end, yeah. The ending of this movie is that once uh, Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen's wife, I, I wish I could remember any of these characters' names, um, are killed, they come back to kill uh, Leslie Nielsen as, like, gross, nasty seaweed zombies. Yep. So, she didn't only have to do that. <laughs> One of the things that I thought about a lot while 
do well like watching the latter half of this segment like after ted danson and his girlfriend die oddly enough like i don't know if you're familiar with um mr james as like a victorian writer i i i really am not uh he's like a really prolific ghost story writer from i've heard the name i haven't actually read anything he's written um i've heard a few of his stories and a lot of like what is in his stories is this just creeping sense of dread like you know something's coming but the character doesn't really and i don't know i just kind of felt that same vibe as we're watching wesley nielsen like slowly realize that there's fucked up seaweed zombies coming for him yeah because there's like a long stretch of time um where he just like is like puttering around his beach house he like takes a shower (laughs) he puts on like a velour tracksuit yes fuck I loved that tracksuit. You know how, like, sometimes, like, old men will, like, wear a tracksuit, but, like, with no shirt underneath and, like, a chain? Like, that's the look that Leslie Nielsen is sporting post-shower in this bit, and it's very good. It's incredible. Fashion icon. Okay, can I just say something totally random that I was thinking about during this thing? So That's what this podcast is for, Taylor, yes. At the, at the beginning of the of this segment, Ted Danson is, like, you know, he's, like, shirtless, like, walking around, like, because, you know, this whole thing takes place on, like, a stretch of beach houses, so he's just, like, in his beach house, like, lifting weights, and he's shirtless. And I was thinking about how, like, leading men in, like, because Ted Danson is supposed to be, like, the young, hot guy to contrast with, like, Leslie Nielsen is like, like, I, like, we don't really get a good look at his wife, but like the vibe I get is that he's like older than her mm-hmm. and that Ted Danson is like her age. Yeah. But like Ted Danson is supposed to be like the young, hot guy and he's like hairy as fuck. <laughs> and like leading men now in movies, like if you watch like any Marvel movie, like they all like are like shaved chest i don't know where i'm going with this i'm just thinking about how like (laughs) was this just a call out to tell me to like to let our audience know that i'm watching fucking marvel movies now yes it is Is just what we're we're doing everybody point and laugh at jemmy because she (laughs) likes marvel movies now i don't like them (laughs) that's true you don't like them you just watch them liking is a stretch i like one facet and that's it Okay, and but that facet is barely on screen. <laughs> ever. Like, but like one facet is enough. That's what most Marvel fans watch for one person. It's true, but their facet is usually on screen for more than twenty minutes over a stretch. I, we can't talk about this. We're talking about creep show. Anyway, my point is that I think that like hot leading men in movies need to be hairier. That's that's all. I, that's all I'm saying. I have no dog in this race. I'm a lesbian. I know that. I just felt like I needed to vocalize it. I support you. I simply, I si- I simply think that Harry Chess going out of fashion was a bad thing. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um, I love these zombies. I love the way they look. I love how they look waterlogged. They're so nasty, and I know I'm saying that about every effect in this movie, but it's all so delightfully nasty. I love how when they talk, their voices sound like gurgling, like yes. like they're underwater. Yes. And I love that when Leslie Nielsen, Leslie Nielsen, (laughs) that's his name, that when Leslie Nielsen tries to shoot them, blood doesn't come out like nasty water comes out. Yep. Oh, it's so good. I love zombies design. Oh, my God. Tom Savini. You did it. Thank you, sir. We we applaud you. (laughs) Thank you, sir. 
for all, all of the effects in this movie, but mostly... All the effects in this movie. Even the crate has some good effects, so... Yeah, even though the crate is... Well, we'll talk about it, but, like... One thing that I thought was interesting was that this is essentially the same plot as Father's Day, but I thought better. <laughs> Do you know what? It also is kind of the same plot of they're creeping up on you. Again, but better. But better, yeah. No, actually, I do well, really like they're creeping up on you. Yeah, but like I like something to tide you over better. <laughs> I think that this does the kind of zombies come back for revenge thing a little bit better than mm-hmm. Father's Day, though, because like Leslie Nielsen actually deserves to get got. Yeah, these are zombies that you're rooting for. Yeah, like, the zombies show up to fuck him up, and you're like, yeah, go get his ass. But, like, with Aunt Bedelia, you just feel sad, because this is just, like, with Aunt Bedelia, it's like, oh, like, an abusive dad. Killing (laughs) his daughter. To fucking kill his elder, his, like, elderly daughter. Cool. That's sad. I don't, I don't like that. Uh, but yeah. Fuck Leslie Nielsen's character. Those zombies were right. And they, I thought they were just gonna, the first time I watched this movie, I thought they were just gonna kill him. Uh, what they do is they take him to the beach and they bury him up to his neck the way that he did to them. And uh, he drowns, presumably. Presumably. Well, <laughs> my other favorite thing is that he, they zoom out and he says what, well, so when he buried Ted Danson, he said, like, well, there there is a chance that you'll be able to survive as long as you hold your breath every time the tide comes in. And uh, as this segment ends, <laughs> he's buried up to his neck on the beach and he he's screaming like, I can hold my breath for a long time. <laughs> in the most dramatic fashion you can imagine. It's very good. Leslie Nielsen is having the time of his life in this mo- in this in this movie. Well, in this movie, but in this, in this movie, technically, yeah. <laughs> I'm mad he didn't do more horror movies. Mr. Nielsen, sir, why did you fail us like this? He did a parody of The Exorcist. I went like on a letterbox deep dive uh, <laughs> that most people didn't like. And he was Dracula in the Mel Brooks Dracula Dead and Loving It, which I also don't think is very funny. But he deserved to be in more movies like Creepshow. Like more actual horror movies, not like... Parody horror movies. Yeah. I'm sad about it. Anyway. Moving on. Ah. <sighs> I would not want to die like this. I would not let him die like this either. It's very not fun. <laughs> I, You know what? One thing I will say before we move on is that I think, like, the relationship between Harry and whatever the wife's name is that I forgot mm-hmm. is, like, actually, like, genuinely really sweet. <laughs> I mean, what is more romantic than coming back from the grave to kill your mutual murderer? You and your girlfriend coming back from the grave to kill her, like, shitty husband who murdered both of you is such, like, relationship goals. And, like, personally, like, if no one's willing to do that for me, then I'll die single. Truly. The standards are high. Anyway, we're beating around the bush. Time to talk about the one that I think is quite boring. Uh, It's called The Crate. (laughs) And, yep. It exists. God, I... This is where the movie dragged for me. This is, like, the only part where it dragged. You know what's so fucked up? What? The amount of people on Litterboxd who said that this was their favorite segment. 
Oh, good. It's so slow, though. Like, everyone. Okay, so as if this is not your first time listening to the podcast, then you know that we have a segment where I, like, read funny letterbox reviews. But the the thing about that is that I have to go through Letterboxd to find the reviews. And, like, everyone in, like, the creep show review little section was talking about how much they love the crate and how the crate is the best one. And I was like, fuck all of you people. <laughs> Here's the thing. You know how we've been saying like all of these, all of these um, segments have been fairly simple ideas, but like executed really well. This is a simple idea executed in like the most boring way possible. It's number one. It's so long. It's definitely the longest. Either it's the longest segment or it feels like the longest segment. Number two, it's misogynistic as fuck. <laughs> Billy did nothing wrong. I personally think that Billy did nothing wrong. Okay, so we should probably get into the plot. Uh, must we? We must. So this thing takes place in like, uh, like among the staff of a university, I guess. Mm-hmm. Some sort of unspecified university. They, f- they find, uh, the janitor finds a box, a crate, if you will, under the stairs that has apparently been there for like 150 years <laughs> and yep. nobody has touched it yet. Okay. And um, there's a monster in it. And a guy uses the monster to kill his, oh, his the old ball and chain. Yeah. My bitch wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's such like, if you've ever listened to stand up from the 80s. It's just that. Where, like, just a dude will talk about how much he fucking hates his wife, and you're just sitting there like, get divorced! Truly! Also, okay, you know what? Let's let's not beat around the bush any let's longer. Let's talk about that. Let's not- let's talk about this. That great monster is not sexy. And I was extremely disappointed by that. I simply think that it should have been. As a certified monster fucker, I was- horrified this thing is the ugliest thing i was expecting like a werewolf kind of deal it looks like a fucking ape that got hit in the face with a two by four (laughs) you're so right it does it's like it's not even like i can't even like the big fucking like muppet mouth and the tiny little eyes it's it's not sexy and i don't enjoy how it looks I don't enjoy it. However, I do enjoy the one effect where it, like, claws that guy's face. That was cool. Yeah. It, no, that was cool. I liked that. Um, ooh, boy. Can we talk about our lead in this <laughs> in this segment? Here's the thing. I, I don't remember anything about him. <laughs> I yeah, Well, he's not really... I mean, other than the fact that he fantasizes about murdering his wife constantly? Oh, okay, see, like, there's kind of two leads in this. There's, like, the the wife-murdering guy and then, like, another guy. And they both look the same, and... God damn it. Well, here's the thing about the other guy. The other guy is Dr. Hill three years before Reanimator came out. Stop. He, number one, he fucking looks like David Gale. So much that the first time that I watched this movie, I was like, is that David Gale? <laughs> number two... He is a professor who fucks his students. Just like Dr. Hill. Oh my god, it's a prequel. I'm I'm not fucking kidding. Like, the first time I watched this, I was like, "What? this is Dr. Hill from Reanimator if he wasn't evil. That's how I tell them apart. You got Dr. Hill, and then you got dude who wants to kill his wife. 
I didn't see, I didn't recognize Dr. Hill. So to me, this is a little bit like watching Saw 5. Where, <laughs> where it's just like a host of white dudes that you can't tell apart. Exactly. Like our, our main antagonist, our main protagonist are like two identical white dudes. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, Saw 5. <laughs> this is the, the, this, I'm, as I stutter like an, like an asshole, um, this is the Saw 5 of this movie. It really is. I'm Fuck. never going to forget. And like, shout out to Rosie. She's the funniest person on Twitter. We love you, um, Rosie. Love Rosie. The, Rosie, friend of the pod, Rosie. She once tweeted something about how Saw 5 is impossible to watch because you can't tell apart all of the coke bloated white dudes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Hoffman and Strom are the same dude. Okay, and That's how I felt watching this. It's just like identical coke bloated white dudes. <laughs> and like there's okay, there's like too little of the monster in this movie. Yeah, there's not enough. Too much uh, fuck my I hate my fucking stupid bitch wife and not enough like monster killing people. This would have been so much more interesting if this had been about like the monster getting out of the crate and wreaking havoc on the town and people trying to stop it. Right? Like just do a classic monster thing. You don't need to stand around and talk. This move this this segment is like 75% people standing around and talking about jack shit. Yeah. It's just, it's it's not. It's, Let's talk it, about Billy. Billy didn't do anything wrong. Because Billy did nothing wrong and I love her. I think that more women, like, you know, there are a lot of people on Twitter who say stuff like, we need more evil women in movies. And I agree. We need more evil women in movies. But personally, I think that we need more women in movies who aren't evil, but who are just bitches. We need more annoying women representation. And that's what Billy is. She, like, honestly... I like she really she's mean but I like she like we're supposed to be okay with her dying and I didn't vibe with that at all yeah like she didn't do anything like she okay just, like I guess she was just your wife you didn't divorce not Dr. Hill like personally I think well not Dr. Hill is the other guy I know no no, but like, okay, the other guy is Dr. Hill, and this guy is not Dr. Hill. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you That's meant. my logic. Never mind. Anyway, my point is that Billy is great, and I enjoy the fact that <laughs> Adrian Barbeau, number one, is sexy, and so. She is sexy. She can't do anything wrong because she's a MILF, and she's hot. Sorry. Evil MILFs, like, they don't, they can do no wrong. I just simply think that a MILF can do whatever she wants to do and no one should be able to stop her there is a point in this thing where billy <laughs> billy is told oh like you know she's her horrible husband is trying to lure her to the crate monster so that she can be eaten by the crate monster and so she pours herself a glass of milk with vodka in it which is a white Russian, and just takes the glass in the car. Queen. <laughs> Which I could not get over. Like, I understand that, like, oh, she gets home from, like, whatever. She's playing fucking bridge or whatever, and she, like, is like, I'm gonna pour myself a drink. She makes a white Russian, and then she just takes the glass in the car with her. Queen behavior. Like, girl, number one, that's alcohol in the car. 
not good. <laughs> Number two, that's a glass. <laughs> Again, queen behavior. Also, at one point... Taylor, were you not just saying that a MILF should be allowed to do whatever she wants? That's true. That should include <laughs> drinking and driving. Drinking a white Russian in the car, under, in an <laughs> open glass. In car. She's allowed to do that. I, okay, she had this line where she said to her husband, she said, Now get out of the way, or I swear to God, you'll be wearing your balls for earrings. <laughs> yes! Which I loved. This thing, okay, this segment in particular had a lot of Stephen King dialogue. Oh, yeah. You know, okay, so, like, at that point, um, that's, that's like, right before- line is, get out of the way or you'll be wearing your balls for earrings. At the point where that line is spoken, it's, like, right before Billy dies. I think yeah. that scene should have gone, like, so she, like, somehow leaps out of the way or whatever, and, like, the whole plan backfires and the crate just fucking kills- not Dr. Hill. That would have been a better ending because like the way that it, it ends is that Billy is eaten by the crate monster and there's like, you know, an implication at the end that the crate monster is going to come back for not Dr. Hill and Dr. Hill. Can we talk about how long they took to mop up all that fucking blood? Like there's a blood mopping montage in this fucking section and it takes forever. I would also like to talk about, um, I know that we've been ragging on this one, but I simply think that, that that Dr. Hill and not Dr. Hill do homosexuals together, and I think that's okay. No, you're correct. I mostly think this because they play chess, which is an incredibly homoerotic game. Inherently homoerotic. They, they have a whole musical about it. <laughs> if two men in a movie play chess, they're gay. Exactly. I mean, just look at the original X-Men movies. Oh, another very Stephen King line that I wanted to mention was um, the the grad student that Dr. Hill, like, contacts to be like, help, there's a crate monster. And he killed some, he killed the janitor. And then the grad student says to him, you sound like you've been off on a hell of a toot. Oh my god, yeah. Which is, again, like, peak Stephen King dialogue. I love when Stephen King just writes a line of dialogue and you're like, oh, Stephen, that's not how human beings speak to each other. I remember when I used to drive as part of my work, I would listen to the It audiobook, and every once in a while I just have to, like, stop and be like, Stephen! People don't say that. That's not how people talk, Steve! You sound like you've been off on a hell of a toot. <laughs> like, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> sure have. Sure have. Anyway, this one was boring. <laughs> yeah, this one sucks. Moving on. Moving on. I don't want to talk about it for any longer than... This one sucks. Would have been better if the monster was hot. Moving on. Yep. Uh, Billy did nothing wrong. Billy did nothing wrong. They're creeping up on you is the final segment in this it's movie. A very good way to end. And it's so very good. Oh, I love this. It's very good. It has kind of the same, like I was saying earlier, it has the same, like, M.R. James vibe of, like, something bad is coming, and you know it, and the protagonist kind of doesn't realize it until it's too late. I love it. So this one, do you want to explain the plot of it? Oh, I'll let you do it. <laughs> okay. You're better at this than I am. <laughs> oh, gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> oh my god, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So there's a dude and he's a CEO and he likes what? Yeah, he sucks. He sucks. He's terrible. He <laughs> he lives in this like um 
this like penthouse apartment that's like you know he is like i guess he's like agoraphobic he doesn't really go outside he like runs everything from his apartment and he's terrified of germs and bugs and like he's terrified of things being dirty or gross and he basically i think the implication so a rival ceo whose company he just bought out commits suicide and he's very happy about it because it means that he doesn't have to give him a courtesy position in his company. <laughs> that was a really funny bit <laughs> where he gets the call about the dude killing himself and he's just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he gets a call from the dude's wife who's like cursing him out and calling him an asshole. And she keeps on telling him to die. And I think the implication is that she accidentally like put some sort of curse on him. I mean, is it accidental? I don't know, because it didn't seem like she said to him, like, I'm putting a curse on you now. Fair enough. I think she may have just, she may have, she might have just directed enough negative energy at him that it manifested this thing happening to him. This is why manifestation is so important, ladies. Shifting is real. (laughs) (laughs) This man shifted to a reality where, um, anyway, the whole thing is that his apartment slowly is taken over by cockroaches. Yep. And it's nasty. And it's, oh my god, so gross. I hate bugs. I hate them. So this fucked me up so bad. Oh god, when they're in like his jukebox. Oh, He like, every time he turns a corner and there's like a bug on something. Oh my god. It's a very good like escalation of the bugs showing up. For sure. It's very good, like, rising tension. Like, you know, there's, like, a bug, there's a couple bugs, and then by the end of it, there is a whole room that is filled with bugs everywhere, and it is so gross. Ugh, it's nasty. E.G. Marshall plays the... I forget his... Again, I'm forgetting the character's name. The evil CEO guy. And he's very good at being just repulsive and awful. Oh, he's just the worst. <laughs> Which you... is funny because I was doing some research about him and he was apparently just like a very nice, chill, like liberal dude his whole life. Oh, good for him. So like, I've, I have love when actors who play just like terrible people are just like nice IRL. That's like <laughs> kind very of, funny. Isn't that like kind of always how it is though? Like so many villain actors, like quote unquote villain actors just are the sweetest people. I'm thinking about the the kids who played uh, Henry Bowers and his gang in It who are apparently like sweethearts. I love that. That's so cute. Uh, but anyway, he gives this performance his fucking all. This is mm-hmm. like the Jordy Verrill section, essentially a one-man show. Yeah. It's but just it's like- him talking on the phone to different people and it's very good. <laughs> He's, he sells it so well. He does. He really does. Uh... This guy is a male Karen. He is a male Karen. Oh my god. That was my first note about this segment. I just wrote, this dude is a male Karen. Oh my god, when he's like going off to his like maintenance worker or whatever. Yeah. Oh my god, and he's also racist. Yep, <laughs> no, just, oh, he's racist too. Great. Like, like we've already gotten just like, oh, he's like, you know, a super mega rich CEO. He's, you know, terrible to his workers. You know, he is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then a maintenance work, a black maintenance worker comes to help him out in his apartment. And he, he says some vile shit to this guy. He says some real, real bad shit. What is he, I think he literally says to him like, Because it's like a replacement for the other guy who is at Disney World with his family. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which is uh, funny because I wish I could go to 80s Disney World. I wish I could just go to Disney World. I also wish I could just go to Disney World. But it's a fucking COVID Petri dish down there right now. <laughs> it's expensive. And that too. It's expensive. Anyway, so he's like, you, you maintenance worker guy, get your ass down here. And the dude is like, I'm at Disney World with my family. And he goes, yeah, well, if you don't fix this problem, you're going to be taking your family to Disney World on your welfare check. <laughs> yep. Which God. Is, oh, oh, my God. Anyway, so the, repla- the the replacement guy who comes to help him out is black. And he literally says to him, he goes, oh, like, people like you do well in service roles. Oh. Which, like, oh, my God. Even in the 80s, that was, like, an insane thing to say to another human being. By the end of this, you're really just like, yeah, this guy fucking deserves it. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing is just, like, establishing him as just, like, the worst person on Earth. It's and funny then, how, like, this and Something to Tide You Over are both, like, they fucking deserved it. And then, but then you have, like, Father's and Day. And they're both, like, rich, terrible assholes. Right. And then you have, like, Father's Day, which is, like, the antithesis of that. And the crate. And the crate. I like to think about the crate as little as possible, though. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't like to think about the crate. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, the crate is not a part of this movie. The crate can be a part of Creepshow 3, which is a bad movie. Yeah. I haven't seen Creepshow 2 or Creepshow 3. Creepshow 2 is good. Creepshow 3 is bad. That's all you need to know. Creepshow 3 is one of those movies where it's like, um, they made it like 30 years later because the parent company had the IP and they were like, oh, we can shit out a sequel really quickly. So it's from like 2012 or something. And it's just like that. They don't even they don't even try to do the comic book style. It's just bad CGI. I feel like you would think it was great though, because you like <laughs> love those like terrible. Yeah, you're right. I probably wouldn't think this is yeah, great. I, like I was gonna say, like that's like the shit that I hate watching. But like you would love that movie. <laughs> I I would love this movie the same way that I love Truth or Dare. Exactly. Um, anyway, I'm not going to start talking about how terrible Creepshow 3 is, though, because I'll just rant about that forever. I need to check out Creepshow 3 now. Yeah, you do. Skip right <laughs> to Creepshow 3. <laughs> um, one line that I thought was very funny was right at the beginning of this, E.G. Marshall at one point says, to s- I, I didn't even write down who he says it to. I just wrote down, go and fuck somebody, but put a damn rubber on. Everyone's got the damn herpes these days. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so that's like the kind of dialogue that's going on in this uh, in this Yeah, movie. this is much like The Crate has some very Stephen King dialogue. This is also like Romero doing very Romero style political subtext. Yep. This is like the only one that has this kind of like 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 it's very, it reminded me a lot of Dawn of the Dead in that it was very like Romero being like I'm going to do a politics now. And I thought it was interesting just outside of how like scary and fun this is because like yeah, bugs are nasty and the idea of bugs infesting your house is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um but also, like, I thought that this one had a lot of really interesting subtext about the way that the mega rich, like, view the world around them. Because this guy, this terrible CEO, he, like, sees everybody else in the city that he lives in as bugs. That's made very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, 
through his disdain for dirt and germs and bugs and his disdain for other people, all other people. Um, he sees everybody as a bug that needs to be squished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing about bugs <laughs> is that at the end of the day, there are way more bugs than there are people. And when a bunch of bugs band together, they can really fuck a dude up. <laughs> it's about collective action and unions. Unionize his cockroaches and eat the rich, everyone. Is, like, I'm shocked that nobody talks about this. Like, this is such an obvious metaphor for unionizing. This is a pro-union horror short and nobody talks about it. Unionize his cockroaches and eat the fucking rich, everyone. One cockroach you can squish in two seconds, but then when a bunch of cockroaches fucking invade your house, you have to, like, deal with them. And you have, to, like, they're more powerful than you. Yep. Also, hey, I want to know... action, baby! In that vein, I want to know how many cockroaches died on this set. <laughs> R.I. fucking P to all those fallen soldiers. I actually have some info about this. Not about the amount of cockroaches that died on this set, but apparently. So I was watching this interview with Romero where he talks about filming this. And he was saying, number one, that all of the crew had rubber bands around their pant ankles and their shirt sleeves. I don't blame them. So that the cockroaches couldn't crawl up their legs. Uh, And... Number two, they had to get, like, the cockroaches, like, imported from somewhere. And, like, you know, there really weren't the same, like, bug animal safety regulations. Right. Yeah. Huh. That was that was bug filmmaking. And huh. George Romero was also saying that he was, like, uh, by the end of this shoot, I, like, kind of felt like I had a phobia of cockroaches now. <laughs> I don't blame him. Because you're just like for days at a time surrounded by cockroaches. Just So then they so they would release the cockroaches, which is such a sentence. <laughs> release the roaches. Release the cockroaches. They would release the cockroaches. And within seconds, it was like the floor would be black. <gasps> oh, my God. Like it was just cockroaches <sighs> everywhere. And you could not see the floor. How would they like clean that shit up is my question. Yeah, I that. I wouldn't, I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't want to be working on this set. Nope. See, this is the thing you, like, if this was done nowadays, it would just be, like, CGI. Oh, absolutely. It would be 100% CGI. These are the things you have to think about, like, in a movie like this. It's just, ugh. And I I have to say, it does make it all the nastier to have actual physical cockroaches on, on set. However, for the safety of people who hate bugs on film sets, I would not like, I think I'd prefer the CGI. <laughs> I would also be completely fine with, like, a hypothetical creep show remake that just used CGI cockroaches because this did not sound like a fun set to be on. <laughs> no, thank you. But yeah, that mental image of when Romero was saying, like, they would release the cockroaches and just within seconds the floor would just, you wouldn't be able to see the floor. Ugh. Oh my god, it stayed with me. <laughs> no, thank you. Anyway, this segment ends with um, the CEO character, whose name I forgot, uh, like a bug comes out of his head. Yep. Like, like, it cuts away. He's like overwhelmed by bugs and it cuts away. And then when it comes back, he's just laying on the ground and there are no cockroaches anywhere. And you're like, where did all the cockroaches go? And then 
one comes out of his head and then they're coming out of his mouth and they're coming out of his chest and oh my god he's just infested with them Ugh, it's fucking nasty I just realized that this this is probably a, a bit of this podcast that your brother is going to have to skip. Probably, yeah. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> but yeah, this is the it's disgusting, and if you don't like bugs, this segment will stay with you for a while. Yeah, even if you're like me and you just kind of mildly like don't want bugs around you. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about the framing device. Yes, we actually, I probably should have talk, touched on the framing device first, but I really wanted to talk about Father's Day. I know, I just, I, I really wanted to jump right into Father's Day. This movie has a framing device. It does. Um, a little boy who wants to read horror comics and his shitty, terrible dad won't let him. A lot Fuck of shitty, dad. terrible dads in this movie. <laughs> this movie, this is, this is really just a movie about bad dads. Anti-dad propaganda. Yeah, this kid uh, really wants to read his little horror comics. His dad thinks they're ruining the moral fabric of the children of the youth or whatever. And uh, then the kid uh, gets a voodoo doll from the horror comic and uh, fucks his dad up. I guess kills his dad. I don't know. (laughs) My literal last note for this movie is just, good for you, Billy. Yeah, this kid did the correct thing. He did. And uh, fun fact... This little boy is played by... Did you know this? I didn't. This little boy is played by a celebrated horror writer, Joe Hill. Oh, that's... Who is otherwise known as the son of Stephen King. Huh. Yep. I didn't know that. Anyway, I wanted to talk about the framing device because there is... I I was watching an interview with Stephen King and he was telling this really funny story. Uh, At the beginning of the movie... The terrible dad in the movie, who is not played by Stephen King, mm-hmm. um, slaps the son and he has like a big red hand mark on his face. Mm-hmm. Like it's a nasty looking slap. Yeah, it's oof. And so, but this was obviously like an effect. <laughs> of right, of course. No, Taylor, so, they actually slapped this kid on set. Yeah, they smacked this kid so hard he had a big red mark on his face. Anyway, so. <laughs> In like there was like a break in filming one day, and Stephen oh, no. King took his son to go get ice cream. Oh no! Uh, and just forgot to take the slap makeup off of his face. Oh no! And they and like Joe Hill gets like pulled to the side by somebody who works at the ice cream stand, oh, no. and they were like, "Honey, are you okay?" Oh my god! Oh no! How do you? It's funny, but it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh god! How do you explain that too? I mean, I guess you could just wipe the makeup off and be like, "No, we're just from a movie set." It, but like, oh my god, it's such a funny story. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, those good on those ice cream like, workers. Those people who worked at the ice cream stand who really thought they were like, "Fuck, this child is being abused." <laughs> I mean, good on them for doing something. We need to step in. But yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh anyway, my God. This, this kid was correct to do what he did. Absolutely. I support him. And also, so there's a garbage man in this scene who is played by Tom Savini. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, one of the garbage men um, who, like, pull the horror comic out of the garbage and are, like, going through it. 
Uh, it's played by Tom Savini, who, again, like we said, did the makeup effects for this movie. Yep. Extremely talented dude. He did all, he did the rest of Romero's work too, right? Or like a lot of other, yeah, or am I thinking uh, you saw the dude? A good chunk of it. He didn't do Night of the Living Dead, but he did most of the sequels. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, etc., etc. My shame is that I've never actually watched Night of the Living Dead or any of the sequels. I've only seen Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. I haven't seen Day of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, whatever. I just don't like zombie movies. <laughs> they scale me. I just I don't like boring. them. <laughs> I just think they're boring. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure Night of the Living Dead is good, but I just... If if you are worried about being bored, yeah, you might want to skip Night of the Living Dead. I know that that's... <laughs> That's blasphemous on a horror podcast, but that's my hot take. I mean, we've already, like, dropped so many hot take opinions. It's kind of a boring movie. I respect it, and I think think it's a good movie. I think you, a lot of people, would get easily bored watching this movie. Fair enough. Anyway, one thing that um, I did want to mention before we moved on to the letterboxed section is the score of this movie i have a note on the score of this movie i said that it felt very like kind of old hollywoody and how brassy it is i loved you know the like it's it's so synthy it's so very synthy very synthy very 80s the composer for this movie uh is named john harrison and uh he did good work i love the score to this movie this is one of the horror soundtracks that I throw on when I'm just, like, doing work or writing or whatever. Mm-hmm. This and, like, uh, my, like, Best of Richard Band <laughs> CD. Love that for you. That I love. Richard Band, incredibly underrated horror composer. Um, but, yeah, that's Creepshow. Extremely good. So very good. It, like... This is what the inside of my brain looks like. I was going to say, if you like like all the movies that Taylor has picked so far on this podcast, you are going to love Creepshow. Yeah, you, if, if, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Like, if you looked at the inside of my brain, at like what my thoughts look like, it's just the visuals from Creepshow. <laughs> yep. It's like how my thoughts all look like Crimson Peak. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're going to move on to a segment that I like to call Live Laugh Letterboxd, where I read funny Letterboxd reviews because I think that there should be more memes on Letterboxd. These Taylor, are hard to find. Because- I was going to say, I was like messaging you while I was watching this movie because I just like idly, because like while I'm watching movies, I like to look at the Letterboxd reviews. <laughs> and I was like, Taylor, you're going to have a hell of a time because like all the reviews of Creepshow are like people giving their legitimate, like, long-form reviews instead of the memes. Yeah. Yeah. But I did find funny things. Yay. Okay. So the first one is from Deep Space 9mm, which is a top-tier pun. And he's... Or she. I don't know. It looks like a dude. You know, sometimes you can see a profile and you're just like, that's a dude. (laughs) Yeah. Vibes. Anyway, they say, I think I relate to Stephen King's character more than any other in the history of film. Not so much the turning into a moss monster and shooting myself in the face, but the staying up way too late watching TV while getting completely trashed part. P.S. Leslie Nielsen's velour tracksuit is pure sex. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, four stars. 
Fake Shemp says, I liked the bit where Stephen King watched the wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Evan says, loses points for not having Ted Danson's hairpiece float away in the tide. (laughs) Three and a half stars. I mean, it could have. We just didn't see it. (laughs) It easily could have. Haley says, I already know I'm going to have nightmares about the beach segment. Four stars. Yep. (laughs) Aren't we all? Michael Shantiri says, the fact that Stephen King's acting in this isn't regarded as one of the best comedic performances ever put to film shows you what's wrong with our society. Thank you. Like, genuinely, his performance is so fucking funny. It's so funny. Aaron says, I wish my university had a department of meteors. Meteor shit. Meteor shit. (laughs) Courtney says, the last one with all the bugs was uncalled for, though. Three and a half stars. You know what? Fair. <laughs> this one cracked me up because it's so true. Sean MW says, the message of one segment is, don't kill your wife. And then the next segment is like, unless she's really annoying. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. It's, just, it's so true. Again, lots of conflicting vibes from these segments. Yeah. Carrie says, friend, this guy looks like a clearance rack Mark Hamill. Me. That's Stephen King. Friend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god. Clearance rack Mark Hamill fucking killed me. <laughs> this oh one confused me. I feel like this person belongs on our Ambien. Please. A little bit. This is from Magnolia Fan. They say, I liked the Ted Danson and, Les- and Leslie Nielsen one because of Ocean. Today is not Ted Danson's birthday. <laughs> That's such, like, an R. Ambient post. Genuinely, oh my god. Today is not Ted Danson's birthday. No, it isn't. (laughs) Fuck, dude, it's sure not. Claire says, I watched half, and then my intense hatred for Stephen King made me so physically ill that I had to (laughs) abandon my family and go play Club Penguin. (laughs) Two and a half stars. You know what? Fair. I get it. (laughs) <laughs> I understand. Obje- like, listen, he personally victimized the entire LGBT community with It Chapter 2, so, like, I understand. <laughs> it's true. Maxton Led says, should be part of public school curriculum. I agree. Three and a half stars. <laughs> and the last one, Ava W. Shepard says, so many scenes had bisexual lighting. Is the creep a bicon? Yes. And the answer is yes, he is. The creep is absolutely a bicon. Look at that man. But actually, the real answer is that this movie has bisexual lighting because it was made for me. It's true. It's very true. It was made for me, and that's why they put bi lighting in it. Just for Taylor. A decade and a half before I was born. <laughs> but they knew. They had a, a medium on, on uh, set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, one thing that I wanted to mention about uh, the soundtrack to this movie before we move on to our star ratings is that <laughs> the soundtrack to this movie, the last couple tracks on the soundtrack are like um, things from other stuff that John Harrison like scored for George Romero. Mm-hmm. So like there's stuff from like a Tales of the Dark Side episode and like, you know, just mm-hmm. like, you know, how sound- movie soundtracks sometimes have just like random other shit in it. Right. Just to pat him out a little. There yep. are two songs 
on the soundtrack from something called Shooby Dooby Moon. <laughs> what? Which is, they sound kind of like 50s, like 80s does 50s, like Grease Rocky Horror, but like I think they're. It, it, this is from a movie that was never made. Huh. An unproduced George Romero musical, I think about werewolves? Huh. This movie never got made. I can't find any information about it on the internet. The only, like, record of its existence are these two fucking, like, demos on the Creepshow soundtrack. Oh my god. There's a song called Shooby Dooby Moon, and there's a song called You Make Me Feel Like a Monster, and they both slap. Huh. And I'm saying this now because I want, if anybody listening to this podcast knows anything about Shooby Dooby Moon... DM me on Twitter. My DMs Please are reach open. out to us. Please reach out to us so we can find this movie. Please reach out. The DMs on the pod Twitter are open at FGF Pod. Please get in contact with us because I want. I need to know more about Shooby Dooby Moon. Someone has to know something. Please. Like the only information I could find is that it was like an unproduced George Romero musical movie. God. And oh, like. Oh. It's from the Beastly Kingdom universe. Fuck. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where there had been an 80s George Romero movie musical about werewolves? With doo-wop music? Oh my god. Global warming would not be happening. We wouldn't have COVID. We literally, we wouldn't have COVID. Once again, Beastly Kingdom would be around. The Haunting of Ravenswood Manor would exist as a television show. And Shooby Dooby Moon would be there. Shooby Dooby Moon would be uh, double featuring with Brian Fuller's Hannibal. I mean, not Brian. Brian, Brian Fuller's Ravenous. <laughs> Brian Fuller. Well, that, Hannibal too. Hannibal too. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, I went on like a deep dive yesterday because I was listening to the soundtrack and I just was like on Google trying to figure out anything I could learn about sh- fucking Shooby Dooby Moon and no one had any information on it. That's insane. Someone. DM us! Please! If you worked on Shooby Dooby Moon... We're begging you! If you know somebody who worked on Shooby Dooby Moon, we will interview you. I just want to know. If you have more demos... Please! Send them my way. I want them badly. I'm gonna ask Cecilia, because I know she's been on a Romero kick lately. Anyway, that's my random tangent. I just needed to put it out there so that if... Anyone knows anything, they can contact me. (laughs) I'm so mad that this movie did not get made. Well, let's talk about a movie that did get made. Creepshow. Creepshow. Taylor, I I feel like I don't even need to ask, but what's your star rating? Five stars. Like, there there has been nothing better than this, and there will be nothing better than this. It is it is the Alpha and the Omega, it is everything. I'm going to give it four. I have to knock off one star for the crate. I'm sorry. The thing is, normally I would knock off at least one star for the crate, but everything else about this movie. No, but this is like for it. This is like one of your soul movies. So I understand. It is. I can't, I can't give it less than five stars. I shit on the crate for like 10 minutes (laughs) and yet I will still give it five stars because it's, it is a fucking amazing movie. 
like this is just the inevitable five star review I'm gonna give The Conjuring to. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> does it have shit in it that I don't like? Yes. Is it a perfect movie? Also, yes. <laughs> These two things can and do coexist. My mind is uh, an enigma. The inner machinations of your mind are an enigma. And I refuse to apologize. You shouldn't have to. I simply want to make an edit of this movie without the crate in it. <laughs> no, actually, no. The crate is worth it because of Adrian Barbell. Yeah, Billy did nothing wrong. I just like to watch her be pretty. All right. Well, uh, next time, y'all are going to want to clear your schedules for another two-hour movie. Yeah, sorry about this, friend. Sorry about this, but it's a good two-hour movie. We are watching Ari Aster's Midsummer, which I'm very excited about. Whoop, whoop. We love some cult shit. Cult shenanigans. There's nothing we love more than cults. Being culty, I simply enjoy watching the cult. Don't we all? All right. Well, I know we have a lot of new followers on Twitter. Hello to all of you. Uh, good old bloody disgusting promote us a little bit uh, for Pride Month. So if you're new, welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of us talking about MILFs and crate monsters. <laughs> a movie made for bisexuals. So like, Exactly. Period. Um, if this is your first time here, you can follow us at FGFpod on Twitter and Instagram now. We're still working on getting the Instagram up and going, but... I will make can- a TikTok. I will do it. <laughs> I said it last time and I didn't do it, but I'm going to make a TikTok. That'll be for Taylor. I, I'm, I'm too ancient for TikTok. Um, yeah, and just, you know, if you're on Spotify, hit that follow button. If you're doing Apple Podcasts, give us that five stars. Even though the Apple Podcast app sucks after the update. Oh, I didn't know that. That sucks. Still give us five stars, though. If you... Listen, here's the here's the tea. Here's the tea. If Please. you are listening to us on Spotify, go briefly to Apple Music, give us five stars, and then go back to Spotify. Because Apple Music... Apple Music. Apple, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts. Like, giving us the ratings on Apple Podcasts really helps with our reach. So mm-hmm. even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, it really, really helps to just give us a rating, maybe write a quick little review. You don't even need to write anything crazy. Just be like, I like it. <laughs> that's it. You just all you need to do is write I like it. The algorithm that's how the algorithm works. Just engage. Content. We're making you some content. We won't judge you for just writing those three little words down. <laughs> you know what? If you're feeling extra generous, you could say I loved it. Aw, <laughs> that would be nice if you said I loved it. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, Apple Podcasts is where most people listen to podcasts, even though it sucks. So helping us drive up engagement on that app specifically really helps us find new listeners. So that's the tea. All right. And that's our show. We'll see you next week for Midsummer. Bye, everybody.